This episode of the 42 Rugby Weekly is brought to you by Dundeal Motors, Ireland's largest car website. Find your next premium car from one of our trusted dealerships. I don't think we've met before, but I'm the referee on this field. Leinster could have me five mil a year, I wouldn't go. Rugby Rugby Weekly. Hello everybody and welcome to Friday's Rugby Weekly. Kieran Kennedy here and joining me on the line is the 42's Murray Kinsler. Murray, how has your week been? All good here, how are you? Yeah, all good, all good. It's, um, you sometimes think these Six Nations break weeks are going to be a little bit quiet and you can kind of have a little bit more downtime, but there's always something to keep <laughs> you kind of busy. Um, we were both out in, in the Ireland camp in Abbottstown yesterday, so we're going to go into some of the squad news that came out of yesterday's briefing with Simon Easterby and we'll also look back at some of the big stories from what has been a pretty eventful Six Nations break week and we'll also put some listener questions to Murray a little later on but first up we'll start with some of that news that came out of camp yesterday so I think we were all fearing the worst when we saw Tyg Byrne wearing a moon boot during the post-match celebrations after the win against France we've now had it confirmed that Byrne went for surgery yesterday and is looking at up to 12 weeks on the sidelines a big blow for Ireland, but a big blow for Munster too. And Murray, looking at the here and now, who do you think Andy Farrell is going to be looking at as the next man up? Well, Ian Henderson obviously is going to come into the first choice starting team. He's been off the bench in the last couple of weeks and he has so much experience and set-piece now and leadership obviously as the Ulster captain. So you've got a, a, a strong replacement there in terms of second row. They're going to miss Tyburn because he's a game changer he's capable of producing momentum shifting moments that break down with his ball handling he's answered any questions around his physicality at the top level as well and it's always a blow losing an outstanding player I think they will take great heart from the fact that with a pretty lengthy injury list and some really key guys missing in their, those first two games others have, have stepped up notably and and the absences haven't really been felt like Finney Beelham at tight head is a great example he's been one of the best tight heads in the competition so far and we all were in that position where we thought, you know, if Tyg Furland goes down, Ireland are going to be in a really tough spot. But but Beelham's done outstandingly well. So they'll look for something similar from Henderson. And given his track record, you'd be surprised if they don't get it. Ryan Baird has stayed in camp over Thursday and Friday for, for this kind of short mini camp. And they're training against the Ireland under-20s today, Friday. Um, and yeah, there's a bit of an indication there, I guess, around Baird's place in the, the pecking order and the... I suppose, excitement they have around his form indeed. He's been playing in the back row, but he has a history, obviously, as a second row. And he's got such explosive athleticism that it will be exciting to see him get into that mix. Joe McCarty is the other lock. He went back to Leinster, obviously, and they're they're keen to get minutes into him. He's got huge potential. So there's the option of, of him potentially uh, returning into the, the mix as well. But I think with Henderson and Baird and then McCarty coming behind, you're you're pretty well covered. You mentioned there that it's a big blow for Munster as well, and and it is that he's kind of in a race now to get back to try and help them into the the latter stages of of Europe and the URC. The season finishes this season on twenty seventh May, so you know that's um, just over three months down the line. So fingers crossed that we will see him back before the end of this campaign. If not, at least he's coming in fresh and and raring to go for a, a World Cup campaign, and he'll be back for that. And that's the the really good news. Yeah, there, there was better news on. Johnny Sexton and also hookers Rob Herring and Dan Sher- and Dan Sheehan. It sounds like they could all be in the running to play against Italy, maybe. When it comes to the guys who haven't featured yet, so so Tyke Furlong, Jemson Gibson Park, Keen Healy and Robbie Henshaw, 
we're looking at later in the tournament still and there's just still not a huge amount of clarity really around where those players are that's it it remains a question mark they are around the Ireland group so they're not officially in the squad but they're doing their rehab I, I was out we were out there obviously as you mentioned I saw Gibson Park coming in from doing a, a session just one-on-one with a physio and that's kind of the stage they're at it doesn't seem any of them are going to be featuring against Italy and they'll hope to probably get in the, with the last two rounds but <laughs> when Ireland are chasing a grand slam is it the time to get a, a guy back in if there's any doubt in your in your mind no it's not uh, those four players are obviously very proven now at test level and indeed some of them have come back from lengthy spells out and got straight back up to speed so if there is certainty over their physical condition then yeah they can they can absolutely be available for selection but as i said ireland squad is in a, in a pretty decent place all considered uh, to have sexton herring sheehan keller obviously is back fully fit now and, and came on against france and did a great job the, the options are, are looking a little bit healthier anyway. Yeah, sticking with Ireland for now, we had a question from Seamus into the members' WhatsApp group. So Seamus asks, on the James Lowe try last weekend, much discussion about the no-arms tackle that bundled him into touch. The try or no try took over. How come secondary infringements get overlooked when the try was given? Had the try been overturned, would they have gone on to look at the original infringement? Is it pressure to keep the game going, etc.? There's two points in that. I actually don't think it was uh, an illegal tackle from Penno. When you see the angle from behind the dead ball line, he gets both his arms in underneath low. And I think there's a momentary wrap. Is probably not a great description of it, but attempt to wrap. And, and he's obviously trying to target the ball there as well. So because low is in the air, he, he obviously bounces off him. I, I actually don't think it was illegal from, from what I, I saw. Obviously, there's opinion in that. The other point, though, is like we see it quite often where tries are scored or potentially awarded and the dangerous play of the last defender isn't isn't noticed really at all. Um, obviously, we saw Porter getting penalised for it in the Wales game. Uh, I'd argue you see much worse than that very often in, in terms of players sliding in with knees. We saw the recent example where Christian Wade knocked himself out, throwing his head in against Gary Ringrose, really dangerous for both players. And that kind of stuff, I understand the desperation and I, I do think in most cases players are just trying to prevent a score, but it is something that could be probably cleaned up because it's it's a dangerous enough uh, place to put yourself when you're when you're going for the try line and someone is not fully in control of their body as a defender. So Seamus raises a good point. In that specific instance, I think it was I think it was okay from Penno. He he has especially that right arm, he gets in underneath. I think his left is there as well. So he did make an effort to to get a bit of a rap. Yeah, we did, of course, dig into that brilliant win against France in detail earlier in the week across our two weekly pods for members. And on Monday, myself, Murray and Birch discussed the atmosphere at Aviva Stadium last weekend and if more needs to be done to improve the match day experience there. Got another email, Kieran, from Darren Kay about the atmosphere at the Aviva. He says he was struck by how loud and vocal the French fans were. And he says, frankly, without them for long parts of the match, there would be a little atmosphere in the stadium. Um, he talks about maybe getting more kids in with 20 euro tickets and creating a buzz that way. Compares it to Twickenham, says the players can't really make any comments about this by publicly saying we, the Irish fans, are shite. He says, in short, is the Aviva and by extension Irish international fans among the worst stadiums in the world? Among the worst stadiums in the world is is a big statement, but um, it's definitely, I think there's definitely something in that because 
we were we were both in our seats good and early on Saturday and it was the French who were in in big numbers making noise and they had the first the first round of Le Marseillais went around about 20 minutes before kickoff and we even said to each other that it was unusual to see the Aviva so full ahead of kickoff um I I there is a there is probably an issue with with the atmosphere at the at the Aviva stadium and it was now it was rocking on Saturday but it was kind of hard to get a sense of where that was coming from because where we were sitting, we were very much surrounded by lots of big groups of French supporters. But it's something that's been very noticeable in in previous games there that maybe weren't as high billing or as just as big a game as as, as Saturday was. Um, it's a nice idea to like maybe be able to get more kids in or change the type of crowd at the Aviva, but I just don't I don't see that happening. Um, I've actually asked the the IRFU not so long ago about the issue of ticket pricing at at the Aviva Stadium, because for a lot of people it's just it's not possible to to get up to Dublin and to go to a game because the prices are are very very high and it doesn't sound like that's something that's going to change anytime soon. It's kind of still just the the one November game each year, whether that's against a, a USA or a Fiji, where it kind of you get a couple more tickets on general sale and it becomes a little bit more accessible. Um, for people but yeah the atmosphere it hasn't been great at the Aviva but we've seen that in in a lot of other stadiums as well Twickenham has been coming under um, a bit of pressure recently for I suppose why people are going to match days and the type of experience they're looking for Um, but I thought yeah no it's a good point because it was a reminder on, on, on Saturday of just how much influence a crowd can have because the French crowd are absolutely brilliant and they, they came over in big numbers and even I was around town on Friday and the amount of French people around town a day early and soaking up the atmosphere and getting into the mood for it was was just great to see and even afterwards the way they, they all stayed back and they applauded their team off the pitch so, because even though they lost they appreciated that they played their part in what was just an excellent test game so I think there is something in that like we've spoken about it before the atmosphere at Aviva but I don't, I don't know how that changes, to be honest. I don't know how that changes. And I don't see it changing anytime soon. Yeah, that was an interesting uh, ch- chat here on. And it's actually been a persistent issue, hasn't it? It's something that supporters contact us a lot about. We had another couple of messages actually from the, the members this week. Kieran got in touch. He said, on the atmosphere in the Viva, it's gone so poor in the last while. I was at Leinster v Munster, Ireland v Australia this season. And the amount of people scrolling through Facebook, Instagram, etc. while at the match is appalling. People with the money to pay in but not the interest in supporting teams. The RFU really need to encourage fans to games by dropping prices and encouraging families, etc. in. 180 quid to go to the France match for people looking at their phones is criminal. Um, I haven't seen that. I don't know. Have you, Kieran? I haven't seen someone on the phone, but that is quite shocking to hear. Um, someone did tell me they were at one of the November tests and the two lads in front of them spent the entire game discussing their mortgages, their taxes and various financial issues, which obviously are important, but this person was very surprised that they weren't actually watching the game. Um, I don't know if you have any similar experiences. I do actually, yeah. Obviously, we're in the press box most of the time, but um, last year I went to the Leinster Connacht Champions Cup game um, just as a supporter and was sitting up in the stands and... It was the exact same thing. The atmosphere was shocking. I, I I brought my girlfriend with me who wouldn't get to too many rugby games and she turned to me at one stage and says, is it always like this? Um, because the people around us were talking about their plans for the evening, where they're going to head that night, what they'd been up to for morning, where they'd gone for brunch. 
and it was just like god almighty there's a game in front of you come on concentrate pay some attention but now maybe that's not the best example because it wasn't it wasn't exactly a classic but I did find it striking that day that how just little people seemed to be engaged in 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 the action and even the people who were sitting beside us turned up for the start of the second half (laughs) they just didn't they just weren't there for the first half um, so yeah, it is definitely an issue, and I mean, we spoke about the pricing on Monday. That's definitely part of it too. And like I said on Monday, I don't know if anything's going to be done about that, but people are getting better value elsewhere. I, I purchased two tickets for the upcoming soccer internationals recently, um, and I got two tickets for two games for one hundred and thirty-five euro. So that's roughly what a lot of people are paying to get into one Six Nations match. It's different, obviously, but it's an issue and if people feel they can get better value elsewhere they're not going to cough up big money for six nations tickets which are hard to get their hands on in the first place but um yeah we'd like to see the atmosphere improve obviously but like we said it's it's hard to know if that can actually happen or how that can actually happen on the ticket pricing obviously there are a few point out that people will pay that and they have a lot of expenses and you see even in wales what's going on in terms of the finances and they're right to maximise the revenue that they can from, from home games. That's the reality of it. Henry was also on, in touch with another of our members. He says, I was at the Welsh game in the Viva last season, the South Africa game in November, the French game last week, and the atmosphere was dire in each game. Players deserve more, but it was obvious that the people around me were not real passionate rugby supporters. 5,000 at a Connacht game would create a way better atmosphere. And like as you just talked there, the kind of thought struck me that supporting sport and has kind of changed for a lot of people and clearly a, a large cohort of people who go to the Aviva it's it's not almost the main event it's a, it's a it's a social gathering where they can meet their friends and probably have their pints and have their chats and it's almost like a, a second screen to their social interaction with their friend and that is part of it and all us curmudgeonly old old school rugby fans will probably have to realize that to an extent however there clearly is a concern on the IRFU's part as well. You, you know, they're trialing this kind of music stuff. They're asking people not to get up out of their seats and move suggestions because these are the people that matter. What do they actually want to see improve? How do they want to see it improved? And and what way can we get people <laughs> looking at the action a bit more? I don't know, ban phones in there or something. Just just to finish up on that point, I think I think Leinster have actually done a very good job at that of that this year. Leo Cullen has been talking... Oh, he's always on about you know the match day experience and and making sure fans want to come to games um and this year they've they've had they have a new fan zone they've kind of changed up the pre-match music and there has been a better atmosphere i think at a lot of the leinster games i've gone to because they've put more focus and attention on making sure the day out is one that's worthwhile for supporters so it can be done it can be done little steps help don't mention the the leinster playlists <laughs> yeah well yeah We'll, yeah, fair enough. Um, look, we'll move on. We we started the pod um, talking about one Munster man and Tyburn, and we're going to switch focus on to Munster now because it was probably no surprise to see that Malachi Fekatoa will be moving on at the end of this season, leaving just one year into his two-year contract. A move that, disappointingly enough, just hasn't seemed to work out for either party. I, I think we've spoken a fair bit previously on the pod about Fekatoa, so... We might focus instead on Alex Nankavell, who will be joining Munster on a two-year deal from the Chiefs. Um, people might remember him also for featuring for the Mary All Blacks during Ireland's summer tour last year and the New Zealand 15 in that win over Ireland A at the RDS in November. How how excited should Munster fans be about this move? I think it's a good signing. I think he's a really 
really good rugby player. He's a kind of typical Kiwi in his intellect and his awareness and his decision making and his comfort on the ball. He's a solid enough athlete. I think he's about six two. Just yeah, I think he's six two. He's around hundred kg, kind of strong, powerful legs. So he's he's good in contact. He's solid in in, in defense. Um, and he's a bit of a glue player. He kind of reminds me of Kyle Godwin a bit. If people remember who who was at Connacht for a couple of seasons, and indeed the fans there liked him. Won't always have highlight real moments and won't have YouTube video clips for ten minutes of his brilliant tries, but invariably makes the person who scores a try look good. He's, he's that kind of player. He can play 12 or 13. <clears throat> I think he's best at, at 12 um, and will fit really well, I think, with Frisch in, in midfield if that's the pairing they, they go forward with, which you imagine they would. I think he's probably more affordable than Fekitoa, uh, who was on a big deal and this will reduce that that overall output in terms of their centres while getting an, an excellent player in. Um He's 26, there's still upside in his game. Like last year was definitely the best season of his career. He he notably stepped up his performances. I think he was on the fringes of All Blacks conversations. Didn't make a squad and obviously there's outstanding players to, to get past there. But he kind of put himself in that bracket and the Chiefs, from reading things over the, the last year or so, spoke about him as stepping up behind the scenes as well and, and being a kind of bit of a leader in that regard as he as he matured so there's lots to like about him he is he's kind of understated and, and classy in that way and I think he'll make everyone else uh, look good because there are there are really good highlight highlights reels kind of players like Frisch now in the in the monster team who who need those kind of glue-like figures beside them so it is an interesting one it's a shame that it didn't work out with Fekitoa he was on that one plus one year deal where there was always a, an option to get out for for both parties after a year and you can understand why why Munster made that decision. Um, he has improved recently and you'd love to see him finish with a bang. He's kind of been linked with a move to Italian rugby maybe now or I'm, sh- I'm sure he'll, he'll, he'll find somewhere else to go. And uh, I think he struggled probably off the pitch and it was hard settling in, but you can see why that decision was made. And I'm really excited to see what, what Nankovell brings. He's, he's classy. So there's another reason there to get watching those Chiefs Super Rugby games over the next few months. Uh, just to see what Munster fans are in store for. Yeah, and there is, of course, a full run of URC fixtures this week weekend as well. So these mid-Six Nations match weeks can be strange ones, but there's a good chunk of players who've been released from Ireland camp to play for their provinces. So today, Friday, you've got Munster at home to Ospreys and Glasgow are at home to Ulster. And then tomorrow, Saturday, Connacht are away to Zebra and Leinster are at home to the Dragons. Murray, if you were to pick out a couple of guys who you were looking forward to watching over the weekend, who, who are you looking at? Gavin Coombs, first and foremost, uh, because he was in such excellent form before Six Nations, couldn't squeeze past Jack Conan. The competition is incredible there. So he's one of the big highlight guys. Jimmy O'Brien, Jordan Larmer, back to Leinster, and I mentioned Joe McCarty. These are all players who genuinely, you know, could have really featured in the in the first couple of weekends. Coombs, Larmer, O'Brien in particular, they're guys who would maybe feature in other nation's test sides given their form and their versatility and their their ability so it is exciting that even the guys who haven't featured for Andy Farrell have such quality um, and it's a weekend yeah that I'm looking forward to it'll be you know obviously there'll be less attention on it all but there's um, so much excitement I'm going to the Leinster game and I just can't wait to see what they come up with in terms of how well they're coached and, and actually that was one of the things we were talking about on Wednesday we're going to hear now a clip from it because we've got a really good question relating to Lancaster and his influence. One question from Edwin Doran. 
who got in touch to ask which Englishman has had the biggest influence on the way both Ireland and Leinster play Farrell, Cash, or Lancaster what do you think? It's a massive call isn't it? Um, it's a tough one it's a tough one <laughs> I w- it's hard when you're on the outside looking in isn't it? If it's you would say <laughs> given the core players that we're talking about having probably hitting the peaks of their career if you look at a Doris Vanderflyer, Gary Ringrose, James Lowe. Sorry for being Leinster centric here for for those listening in, but the coach that has the most access and time to those players is Stuart Lancaster, and I, I definitely think, in terms of the evolution in their games, if we look back to Josh Vanderflyer, for example, how he's improved his carry is extraordinary, really, and that work doesn't really go in at national level that's more on a day-to-day focus when you're talking about James Lowe his understanding of his kicking game his defensive work rate yes Farrell will have input and influence on it but but where is he he doing the the majority of that work is is at provincial level I think yeah I would say how Sexton plays the game now is very different to how he started out his career and I think the the influence of Lancaster in that regard I think can't be understated and yeah i would say how ireland is pl- plays is, is quite similar to what leinster have been doing for a few years those subtle running lines uh, the triple threat of ball carriers the the passing skills of forwards i would say um again from the outside looking in i would think lancaster's time at leinster has been hugely influential and, and he came to the club when things weren't weren't all rosy Leinster were going through a bit of transition with with leo as head coach um and joe schmidt having left so i would say his influence probably probably the most out of the three but the other two fellas aren't doing a bad job are they three english fellas doing brilliant for irish rugby it's great to see yeah, really good question there. And and if you want to sign up for those members pods, the place to go is members.the42.ie. And the 42 Rugby Weekly is sponsored by Dundeal Motors. Whether it's luxury cars, seven-seaters for a growing family or making the switch to electric, you can find everything you need at dundeal.ie. And we're going to finish up with another member's question. And this one came in from Connor, And it's based on the new yellow card upgrade system coming to Super Rugby, which will allow... TMOs raised the sanction from a yellow card to a red card during a game and it's something Murray and Owen spoke about during Wednesday's podcast and his question is I suppose we'll have to see how they do it but is removing transparency from the process not a big issue as it is now the ref on the field sets out their rationale and we can all agree or disagree but we know what it is removing the decision to off-screen decision makers to upgrade a yellow or fail to upgrade one when nobody knows why they're doing it feels like a recipe for controversy Maybe they'll give their rationale, e.g. no Wayne, having reviewed all of the angles, there was a high degree of danger. But that even feels messy. Doing it eight minutes later feels like it could undermine the ref during the game. Glad they're trialling this, but glad it's in Super Rugby and not closer to home. Murray, thoughts? Yeah, great point from Connor, And this is why I love our members, because they often uh, have these insightful thoughts. It's a good question. As far as I understand... It'll be relayed, the decision will be relayed obviously to the referee, to the coaching teams who are involved uh, and also to the broadcaster. So I would imagine that there'll be the concise explanation to them as to why it's being upgraded if it is and that that's all people need to know really. I think that gives the, the transparency 
yeah, you don't want to, the, the process being kind of hidden now isn't ideal, but as long as we have uh, an understanding of why the decision was was made, that's really crucial, isn't it? Um, and that's that's what we're always looking for around refereeing and around that clarity of, of decisions. You know, even after the game, I always feel it would be lovely to have a forum where referees could, or maybe they're, their managers or supervisors could explain why a certain decision wasn't given or why it was given rather than leaving us in this kind of gray area. So um, great point from Connor. And my hope is, and my expectation is there will be explanation around that. Um, so looking forward to seeing how it goes. Looking forward to Super Rugby. It's back so soon. It's going to be so much fun. MLR is kicking off. I know someone else was asking about that and we'll try and touch on that at some stage. There's the, the Super Rugby Americas kicking off. There's loads of rugby happening at the moment. Um, URC, obviously, and, and back into Six Nations. So this is a very good time of year. It certainly is. Murray, we'll leave it there for today. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Kieran. Thanks, everyone. Great stuff. We'll be back on Monday with the usual members pod to dip through all that URC action. But for now, that's us. Enjoy your weekend and catch you soon. The 42 Rugby Weekly is brought to you by Dundeal Motors, home to Ireland's largest range of new and used cars. Visit dundeal.ie today to start the search for your next car. Driver's job names for two double barrels. Spits out, brits out, on smoke carols. And he's refreshing the world in mind, body and spirit. Mind, body and spirit. You better hear it out.